live, interactive, and here to assist you if you need help. Dealing with addiction, mental health challenges, and more. This is Road to Recovery with your host, Yona Bud, only on 640 Toronto. And welcome to the show on the Road to Recovery. And you're tuned in to 640 Toronto. I'm Yona Bud, your host. So glad you could join us. Thank you for being here. Um, we are talking about a bunch of different things tonight, so it's important that you hang in there. We're going to talk about uh, cell phone addiction here in a minute. We're going to talk about what's going on with schools and kids and crisis and uh, all the necessary things we have to do there. Uh, we got some really good interviews. So it's going to be a couple hours of some pretty you know, jam-packed information and sharing, and we'd love to share with you if you feel like you have something to offer. We'd love to hear from you if it's appropriate. 416-870-6400, or you can always send us an email, road to recovery at 640toronto.com. I'm in the studio with Danny, Natasha, and the whole team, and so happy that we could be together. You know, there is a real issue when it comes to smartphone addiction, um, and not just in children, you know, let's be honest, in adults as well, right? We all have a hard time putting our phones away. You know, I went out for dinner with my wife uh, a couple of days ago. We were in a restaurant. Her and I have an agreement. We put our phones in our, in our, in our uh, handbags and I have a handbag. She has a handbag, my man bag, her handbag, whatever. Uh, another discussion for another day. We don't use our phones at dinner together, especially when we're at, at a restaurant in, in, at home. We try to force ourselves as well because both of us could be on our phones 24 seven. She's a very busy lady doing all kinds of great work. Uh, I'm a busy guy trying to do the best I can, and we're busy doing that a lot of hours of the day. And seeing people in restaurants, wow, they're having, you know, they're having dinner together. He's on his phone. She's on her phone. The kids are on the phone. Like, really? Just order takeout. Have it at home if you're going to operate. Don't, you're missing the whole experience. Well, in today's digital age, it can be quite difficult for parents to keep their kids away from a screen. No kidding, right? The proximity of digital technology is growing daily. Each home now has, what, two, three, four smart devices. I mean, flat screen TVs seem to be an abundant thing these days. You can buy them relatively inexpensively, so they're everywhere. The online world is extremely addictive, hard to put down your social media. God, you want to know who responded to that? And who's responding to that? And where is she going? Where is he going? Like, really? Oh, my God. I'm dizzied just with the thought of it. So we're going to talk today briefly this morning or this evening, excuse me, uh, seven steps on how you can take your child into that gaming addiction, do the best we can. In an interview with Lifestyle, HD Lifestyle, Dr. Uh, Angada Nandi, she's a development psychologist and founder of Hopscotch Children Therapy or Child Therapy, shared, when you have children, you know that they're going to be exposed to a lot of different things. They might become dependent on smartphones, tablets, and as a result of technology exposure, for both children and adults, it can develop into an addiction. Like, seriously, think about how many times a day you use your, your, use your phone, how many times a day you go back to your phone or your device or your, whatever screen. Like, we're constantly, right? So first thing they teach us on how, seven ways to break smartphone addiction in kids and, frankly, for adults as well, acknowledge it. It's hard to understand how much time kids spend on their device, but it's easy to spot the difference between kids who are just playing with their phones and for those that are using it as a source of entertainment or distraction. And by the way, if kids are having you know uncomfortable thoughts, distractions are a good thing. And I'm not suggesting that smartphones or technology isn't a good distraction if used properly, right? 
Tell, you know, you can, somebody can have a beer or two. Someone can smoke a joint once in a while. I guess someone could do a line or two of cocaine every once in a while. Those aren't the people we're talking about when we talk about compulsions, addictions, and, uh, you know, at-risk behaviors. We're talking about people where those things, those situations, like a smartphone, begin to affect their lives. Kids not eating, kids not sleeping, kids not communicating, losing social skills. So educate the children on the side effects of too much screen time. Tell them, you know, I know when I'm on the phone for too long or I'm on my screen for too long, I find that it makes me feel like fill in the blanks. Set screen time limits for your children. Set a daily limit on the amount of time you and your child, your child can spend on a smartphone. And oh, by the way, maybe mom and dad should do the same thing. And maybe we should talk about something called the digital free zone. I have a whole lot of families that are doing that because we, we have you know, kids in crisis because families aren't connecting. I have to get down in, into the trenches with them. And we talk about ways that families can best connect with their kids and their kids best connect with the other members of their family, siblings, parents, and so on. There are no such thing as real screen time limits. It's to each his own. But certainly something like a no, a no phone zone or a no electronic zone. What that means is there's a, I tell people, create a box of some sort at the front of the house somewhere. Have that box, uh, you know, it's dinner time. Everybody's phone goes in the box, right? After dinner, you can pick up your phone, right? We all watching a movie together. Everybody's phone goes in the box. So that everyone's phone goes in the box. Dads, moms, siblings, everybody's goes in the box. That's what, that's what we're talking about, no, no, no phone zones or no technology zones, zero technology allowed, right? Encourage physical activities. You know, if you're trying to get your kids off a phone or your husband or your wife or your, you know, your uncle, or your brother-in-law who's living with you, and you're in their life such that you can see the difference that this makes. And I'm talking about noticeable differences when people are affected by their devices such that you can see it in a social setting. First thing that happens when a family has a party together on a Sunday night, and you can see the two or three or four teenagers that are at the big dinner table, not participating in the conversations and the joyous nature of being together as family, but in fact, they're on their phones, checking social media, playing games, and so on. Inappropriate, right? For that time. Encourage physical activities instead. Take your kids for walks, ride a bike, go do whatever you can do that is physical, active, and something you can do together as a group. Have a media fast. What's a media fast? Not a media fast. Media fast It's like fasting for food, right? Give your body a break. Have a weekend where the entire family has a media fast. All we're watching is Netflix. We're not going to see commercials. We're not going to listen to radio. My boss won't like that. We're not going to listen to radio. We're not going to use our phones. We're going to have a fast. We're going to, we're going to not eat. We're not going to take in any digital data, any digital food that's not necessary. So the third thing is to be a role model. Don't expect your kids to do something you don't do as well. Model the right behavior. So number one, real quick, acknowledge it. Number two, educate them on the side effects. Number three, set screen times. Number four, digital free zones. Easy, just put them away. Number five, encourage healthy activity. Number six, just don't use them for a weekend. Have a media fast, as it's called. Number seven, the most important one, my dear friends, is modeling healthy, happy, and positive behavior for your children. That's what they follow. They do what they learn, I swear. 
They do what they learn. When we come back, we're going to talk about some more stuff here. You're on the road to recovery. My name is Jonah Bud, 640 Toronto. Addiction is a serious issue, and we take it seriously. This is Road to Recovery with Yona Bud on 640 Toronto. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for joining us. You're on the road to recovery. My name is Yona Bud. I'm your host this evening. So glad you could join us and be a part of all of this. What is all of this exactly? If you're just tuning in, it's a chance for us to share with you and for you to share with us helping each other just get through the day, maybe some advice and tips we can give one another and uh, share with the listeners and just uh, try to, you know, just try to make it a great day. So if you're a kid today and you're going back to school and you're coming out of the summer, some kids are fortunate to have summer camp experiences, some not so much. So they have different kinds of summer experiences. By the way, camp is not the only way to make it work. Um, All kinds of other things you can do. Uh, to make a fun summer, but it's almost over. So you don't need my advice on that right now. Uh, But we're talking about kids kind of where they are in all of this. And the article that we're referring to here is uh, youth mental health is in crisis. Are schools doing enough? Um, In some ways, the years back to school season, uh, it's supposed to restore a degree of pre-pandemic normalcy. I'm not sure what that means. Most districts have lifted mask mandates, dropped COVID testing and vaccine requirements and so on. Uh, But the lasting impacts of the pandemic remain. um, And I can tell you as a practitioner, as a a therapist, um, it's the impact that this has had on adults and children and teenagers and everybody in between has been overwhelmingly, uh, remarkably uh, strong. I can't use big enough words to try to tell you how messed up we are with both kids and adults after all of this. And the student mental health reached a crisis level last year and the pressure on schools to kind of figure out solutions um, became even greater, right? So districts across the country were using, uh, this is an American article, we're using federal pandemic money to hire more mental health specialists and so on. Uh, The pandemic magnified the fragility of mental health among American youth, according to this article, uh, had been experiencing a rise in depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, report issued from the Center for Disease Control and Prevention found 44% of high school students say they experience persistent feelings of sadness and hopelessness. My guest uh, this evening is Rachel Miller. She's the CEO and founder of Close Gap Youth Mental Health is in Crisis. Our school is doing enough. Close Gap, um, welcome to the show, Rachel. Thank you so much. And what is Close Gap? Hi, Yona. Thank you so much for having me. So Close Gap is a nonprofit startup that we've built to improve the mental health of K-12 students. And so what we've built is an emotional health check-in where students can share their emotions, their somatic sensations, their energy level, whether or not they've eaten breakfast, what's going on in their peer group, and any other information they want to share. And we take all of that data and we funnel it into an easy-to-use dashboard that teachers, administrators, school counselors, school social workers, even school psychologists can use to support students in real time throughout the school day. Wow. That's so cool. Who came up with it? Thank you. I did. I I spent about 18 months just hanging out in schools in San Francisco at the time. Now we're headquartered in Los Angeles. Um, But I spent a bunch of time in schools trying to uncover 
what school staff really need to support the emotional health of students. And the reason I was so kind of preoccupied with this idea is that 50% of all mental health illnesses will emerge by the age of 14 and 75% will emerge by the age of 24. So we kind of think of mental health as like this, you know, kind of rare thing that only happens to adults. But in reality, it's extremely common over 50% of kids will have some sort of mental health issue before they turn 18. So it's extremely common and it's actually inherently a youth problem. And so I wanted to support kids. That was always my goal. And I felt that the best way to do that was within schools because after all, that's where all kids are. So uh, let's get a sense of, I mean, I'm a, I, I deal with youth in crisis. I have a practice to deal with youth in crisis. I can tell you that we're as busy as we could possibly be and we can't even keep up. Uh, yeah. And kids are more messed up today. Uh, it's not a therapeutic term. Obviously, kids are more messed up today. <laughs> I can uh, appreciate it. Yeah, more messed up today than uh, than I've ever seen in over 40 years of doing this stuff. Uh, but give us a sense of how bad is it? Um, based on the data, I mean, you're you're the gal with all the data, all the material, all the input right now. So what, what are we really seeing? And is it a big deal? And should should we be worried about it? Yeah, so I think I think it's always been a big deal. It's just we're starting to notice it now because we have so much so much more data and because we're paying attention to it. But just over the pandemic, what we've seen is I think the latest stat that I saw was there was like a 30% increase in emergency room visits for mental health concerns among um, adolescents. So that's like one big thing we saw during the pandemic. What we're seeing within closed gap data is actually self-harm and suicidal ideation reports are extending toward younger age groups than we've ever seen before. So if maybe, you know, we've seen, you know, six to 12th graders, we would have the most self-harm suicidal ideation reports. Now we're seeing it extend all the way till fifth grade, fourth grade, and even third grade. Yeah. I would say, I tell people all the time, I've got more kids. uh, And I remember 10 years ago, my first 13 year old needed to go to an AA meeting trying to find wow. an appropriate meeting was a big deal. I think we've got over a dozen uh, children under the age of 15 in smart recovery and AA meetings uh, here in Toronto. Uh, but so, so I, I, I certainly get it, but Peepsy, the, the thing is when people get sick, you can see it when they have a rash, you can see it. Parents don't understand that, you know, their, their teenage children and their, and their neighbors and their kids, friends are having a really hard time through this, but they, a lot of people shrug it off to, oh, you know, they're, they're just kids and that's what teenagers do. How do we right. differentiate? Oh, that's such an excellent question. I think my first invitation for parents and caregivers would just be to kind of remember what it's like when you were young. And it's really hard to do that, right? I think it's called presentism. Like we look back at a problem with the brain and experiences that we have now. So it's really hard to remember like, oh, what life feels like for an 11 year old. So one thing I would invite parents to do is kind of, you know, run a little thought experiment and try to remember back what it really felt like to be 11 or 12 or 13. And, and then put on, you know, the new social media layer that kids have to experience, the pandemic layer that kids have to experience, gun violence in school 
tools that kids have to experience. Like our youth are growing up in an extremely different environment that is actually far more complicated than I believe the environments were before. And so I would just run a thought experiment and think, okay, how might I feel if I were to be dealing with all of this? And I think that parents would do well to, um, to ask more questions as well. Like, I think that's hard to do, but I, that's what I would say. Um, What are schools doing to address this based on your information? You're, you're sharing this information, not just with kids. There's a, for example, there's a school here in Houston uh, that's now teaching more mindfulness lessons with open, open ocean sounds played via YouTube and uh, Chihuahua, they have a little Chihuahua in the classroom named Lucy and a cockapoo named Omni who've joined their district's uh, crisis and uh, counseling team. Uh, in Indiana, they're doing the same thing. They're trying to do stuff. They're trying to change the schoolroom around, give kids a quiet place to go and rest and share. Um, what, what, do you, what, what things do you tell teachers and school, schools and you know, those that are in charge? What do they need to do to help kids get through this? Yeah, absolutely. So historically, we tend to think of schools as the place where, you know, we learn. And while that's true, historically, schools have been the place that have served low income students, right? If students are eating enough, they're going to get food from school. Um, If they don't have the clothes or the supplies they need, they're going to get that from school. And I think now we're seeing schools are saying, oh, actually, we need to support students emotionally too. That's, you know, within the realm of our responsibility. And so as you mentioned, we have schools and districts that are implementing, you know, calming corners within the classroom, which is an area where students can go and sit for one or two minutes, collect themselves, they can complete a closed gap check in, they can do a little bit of journaling, and then they return to the academic environment and, you know, get on with the school day. So that's something we're seeing. Um, And then yes, there are also areas within like the school counselor's office where you have this kind of zen spa like room where students can go and just hang out for 10 minutes, maybe during lunch, and it's really not taking time from class, but it's a time where students can really present themselves, reflect, kind of calm themselves if it's necessary and get back to their day. So I think schools and districts are doing such an excellent job with this. When is closed gap coming to Canada? You know, it's funny, when we first launched in 2019, we had a few schools in Canada start using closed gaps. So so I, I think we are being used by just a few schools across Canada, but we are here for you all. So please sign up. Okay. How do people find out more about Close Gap real quick? We got about two, 20 seconds. Yeah. So go to closegap.org and it's free to use. So you can register your entire school, all of your school staff, and there's no training required. So head on over to closegap.org and we'll get you set up. I'm talking to Rachel Miller. She's the CEO and the founder of a really cool project called Close Gap uh, to help uh, kids identify with their mental health needs and that information being shared to teachers and guardians and people that can help somewhere along the way. You are listening to The Road to Recovery or you're on The Road to Recovery. Either way, I'm glad that we're connecting. I'm Yona Bud, 640 Toronto. You're listening to Road to Recovery with Yona Bud, only on 640 Toronto. And welcome back. You're on the Road to Recovery. Listening to me here, I'm Yona Bud, 
This is 640 Toronto. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. And uh, if you're just listening in for the first time, this is the show on Saturday night where a whole bunch of us all get together and share ideas and thoughts and talk about the things that may trouble us, talk about some of the things that make life a little easier for us coming out the other side of this last couple of years. It just doesn't seem to end. It keeps the linger and lingering and lingering. Anyway, you might actually find yourself smoking a few too many cigarettes, perhaps making a couple extra joints than you'd like to, maybe a little more in alcohol than you should, maybe five o'clock now comes to 12 o'clock, who knows. But there's an interesting study that investigated whether three smoking cessation drugs could help reduce alcohol intake yields with unexpected findings. So a clinical trial, I'll read some of the article here to you. The clinical trial to test whether three proven smoking cessation treatments could also reduce alcohol intake found no differences between the medications, but that the rates of behavior change for alcohol consumption and smoking were high in all treatment groups. Can you imagine taking a pill that helps you quit booze and cigarettes at the same time? Remarkable, one would say, right? So the study was published on August 15th in JAMA Network Open. It involved 400 people living with HIV in Russia and was designated by researchers, designed by researchers from Vanderbilt University uh, in uh, Boston University and Boston Medical Center and first Pavlov State Medical University of St. Petersburg, Russia. <clears throat> Excuse me. The investigators who included addiction specialists, HIV researchers, recruited volunteers who self-identified as engaging in risky drinking and daily smoking. Participants were followed up 12 months after enrollment. Medications were placebo controlled as well. And interesting study. We're going to find out a little more. Stick with me here. Yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued. I hope you all are too. A single medication to treat both risky drinking and smoking could improve health efficiency and, and significantly. Oh, could I'm sorry, could improve health efficiency and significantly. Risky drinking and smoking frequently occur, co-occur, both threaten the health by increasing risk of cardiovascular disease, cancer, and other important health comes, says the study's lead author, and her name is Dr. Hillary Tyndale. She said I can call her Hillary. She's my guest this evening. Hi, Hillary. Hi there, Yona. Thank you for having me. My, my good. My apologies. I wish I could learn how to read. Uh, but uh, the, the the reality is that I, what I'm hearing is that there's potential for the same medication used to help quit smoking to help deter and help you prevent yourself from maybe drinking too much. That's exactly right. Um, and, and thanks for that intro. I, I basically feel like I don't have to describe the study anymore and we can all go home. Um, <laughs> So yes, actually, over the past 10 years or so, there have been several studies um, conducted in multiple countries um, that looked at a smoking cessation medication called varenicline, also known as Chantix or Champix, oh, yeah. depending on where you are in the world, yep. um, and tested this med for alcohol. It is a proven medication to quit smoking, but there have been these really interesting findings that varenicline may also help people lower their drinking or even quit drinking. And so we actually set out to do a larger study asking just that question. When people smoke every day and they drink heavily, do smoking cessation medications like varenicline, nicotine replacement, and a third medicine called cytosine, do they help people both quit smoking and drinking? So that was the main study question. How would you define risky drinking and smoking as it relates to your study? 
Um, risky drinking, we use the U.S. National Institutes of Health definition, which is, a, there are several different definitions that are, that matter to people who drink for their health, but we use the one that looks at five or more heavy drinking days. So you ask people, how much have you had to drink in the last 30 days? And if they've had five or more days of heavy drinking, meaning five drinks or more for a man or four drinks or more for a woman on those days, that's heavy drinking. Um, now, people may hear that and think, gosh, I put that away you know, 12 or 15 times. Uh, it's no big deal. But actually, it is a big deal for health. Uh, and that's why that definition exists. It's interesting, actually. We uh, we did a we, we did a show months ago about you know the 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 weight of drinking for males, the weight of drinking for females, uh, or at least body body sizes that you know match those descriptions, not necessarily gender identification. But um, and we the concept of what five drinks. Why we had a bunch of people call in, and the people's concept of what a drink was. They weren't all the same. Was there a right. measurement here, according to this study, as to what five drinks represents, whether it's an ounce, two ounces, or more? Yeah, we didn't actually. It's a great question, um, and it, I think it's probably like coffee. You know, I think of one <laughs> cup of coffee, and I probably am having about three cups of coffee for every one cup of coffee. Uh, same, same idea. We yeah. asked people to self-report, so we didn't actually measure it. Um, when we say drinks per day, the question is referring to a standard drink per day which I think is 0.6 grams of alcohol per or 0.6 ounces of ethanol um, in a standard like glass of wine or bottle of beer, et cetera, mixed drink. Um, but you're right. It was self-report. So, so up to, up to the individual to report that. Were they the, the three medications that you were talking about uh, Champex being the one that I'm mostly familiar with mm -hmm. um, uh, the, were, were they all, did they all equal, were they all equally helpful or did the, the, were they all equally impactful or was one more so than the other? They, they seem to be all equally impactful. So there was no statistically significant difference um, in the rates of quitting drinking or smoking, regardless of whether someone, was randomized like the flip of a coin to varenicline, Champix, or cytosine or nicotine replacement. And that was somewhat surprising uh, based on the prior literature I mentioned a moment ago, showing that varenicline seems to reduce drinking relative to placebo or sugar pill. Uh, we expected varenicline to do better than the other medications, especially nicotine replacement. Right. Nicotine replacement, we had really conceptualized as our control. And by nicotine replacement, I'm referring to like the patch or nicotine yeah. gum yeah. lozenge yeah. That, that people are familiar with. Yeah. Um, in the, this Russian study, we use mouth spray, um, which is available in yeah. some countries of the UK, not available in the US, but functionally equivalent. Um, so we expected nicotine replacement to, to really be the control. Uh, nicotine replacement has been around since I was in high school many years ago. Um, it's effective for smoking, but it's not used for alcohol. So we were surprised to see that it performed about the same as the non-nicotine medications, Champix and Cytosine. If you're just tuning in, I'm talking to Dr. Hillary Tyndale, and she's a, a part of an, a group that authored a study that deals with uh, medication that you take to quit smoking 
very helpful to help you quit drinking as well. Um, Hillary, I want to ask you, why focus on folks with HIV um, particularly? And do you feel this study would have yielded different results on people who may not experience the HIV uh, or other forms of substance abuse? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and it really speaks to, can I use this research in, in my own life or mm-hmm. if you're a mm-hmm. clinician in my own practice? Um, it, most of the research looking at varenicline or Champix uh, and drinking has been in people who do not have HIV. We um, happen to be a group that studies people with HIV <laughs> for a living. So oh, okay. two of the two of the docs, um, Dr. Samet and Jeffrey Samet at BU and Matt Freiberg at Vanderbilt, who's there with me, um, and then Dr. Krupitsky at Pavlov in St. Petersburg, Russia, have all worked with HIV for decades. Um, and okay. so we we worked with those patients Um, And we were really excited to do so because often people with HIV and substance use um, and mental health conditions are excluded from drug trials. So we were were happy to include them and they did very well on the medications and they did just fine. Amazing. I, I, you know, I never just, uh, and it just happened to be the group that, you know, that you were talking to, right? So, you know, if there's an opportunity to study, it's best, I guess, with an audience that you're familiar with, for sure. Um, Couple, we only got a couple of minutes left. I have a couple more questions here. Uh, Why was the study based in Russia? Why Russia in particular? Uh, again, just great relationships with Dr. Krupitsky and Dr. Samet, who had had um, worked with cohorts of individuals with HIV and importantly, substance use, so HIV from past heroin use. There's another really important reason to look at smoking and drinking in in this population. And that's that with the advent of medications to treat HIV, uh, antiretroviral therapy, most people living with HIV, um, at at least in many countries, um, if they can receive treatment, they suffer from and often die from conditions that are non-HIV related. So conditions related to drinking and smoking. So you're saving lives at the end of the day. Okay, we've got less than a minute. I could keep you on for a month because I'm so intrigued. You (laughs) You have all this data, all this info. What next? Well, one of the main questions is, is wh- what is it? Is it the, is it the medications themselves? Because we didn't have a placebo arm where people didn't get a medication. Everybody got an active med. Is it the medications themselves that are helping? Is it the quitting smoking? People who quit smoking cut their drinking even more. People who quit smoking cut their drinking even more than those who continued in smoking. So we'd really like to look at this in in non-smokers who drink, and that would be the next study. We're also looking with um, a Canadian, uh, Dr. Rachel Tyndale, who is in your fair city, uh, to look at the role of nicotine metabolism for smoking and alcohol. Any relation to Hillary Tyndale? (laughs) No relation to Hillary Tyndale, but she does uh, hail (laughs) from uh, 15 generations ago from the the famous William Tyndale, I'm told. Okay. I'm talking to Dr. <laughs> Hillary Tyndall. She put together a, a study with a bunch of other people at some great universities and colleges and out of Russia that show that uh, smoking cessation drugs are helping with quitting drinking and vice versa. They seem to work really well. We are going to come back. We're going to do a whole bunch more stuff here. You're on the road to recovery. You're listening to Yonabud 640 Toronto. Welcome back to Road to Recovery with Yona Bud, only on 640 Toronto. And we're back with the Road to Recovery. 
Recovery here at 640 Toronto. You want a butt in the house? I'm here as your host. Thanks for joining us this evening. And we're going to talk here about controversial roadside cannabis screening devices. We talked about this maybe six months or seven months ago. We were talking to some police officers in Ontario about um, what this technology was going to look like and how they were going to be trained and a lot of people just didn't know, you know, they didn't really understand what's up, right? They didn't know what's going to happen. We still don't really know what's going to happen. And there's all kinds of controversy around how it works, if it works, uh, how it impacts people who may have THC in their blood yet not be impaired. It's, it's definitely a gray area, much more, much more difficult to uh, deal with than alcohol, much easier to uh, trace and deal with alcohol on the fly, so to speak. So Mounties in a Territory announced last month that they had deployed devices designed to take saliva samples, that's what they do, take a saliva swab, right, and test for the presence of tetrahydrocannabinol, um, which is THC, the main uh, psychoactive substance that's in Canada, so in cannabis, excuse me, that's the THC, right? So the technology would help them detect impaired drivers and make roads safer, but some criminal lawyers have raised concerns about these devices and their ability to actually deliver reliable test results, especially and particularly in cold temperatures, right? They're affected. All the, all, see, all this testing stuff, much of it is, is especially saliva-based things, are often um, affected by temperature. So they argue the technology isn't effective at determining whether someone is actually impaired. It can lead to people being arrested who are actually innocent, says Kyla Lee. She's a lawyer based in Vancouver. She's our guest here. She'll join us here in a second. Lee says research has shown devices may be more likely to deliver false results in extreme cold temperatures and movement during analysis could also affect outcomes. Kyla, how are you this evening? Thanks for joining us. I'm great. Thank you for having me. Actually, I think it's what, like maybe the middle of the afternoon where you are? No, not quite. I'm sure. It's <laughs> no. early evening. Um, so again, um, so you actually represented someone who had a constitutional challenge um, in Nova Scotia trying to deal with this this technology. Uh, but for the most part, across Canada, isn't this what some police um, uh, units are using currently, like not just the RCMP? Yes, it's being used by um, municipal police forces, tribal police forces, and RCMP across Canada. Um, we don't see a ton of charges that flow from the use of the equipment because it's not been used as much as I think everybody anticipated when it was first brought out. But it is still being deployed on the roads, and especially now in the summer sort of counterattack roadblock season. So from a, from a defense attorney's perspective, um, I got a whole bunch of questions. So from, from your perspective, what are, like, what are the intended, uh, or the unintended, excuse me, unintended consequences of the technology? Like if it's meant to keep people impaired off the road, what's the problem here? Is it doing its job or really not doing its job? It's not doing its job. It doesn't look for impairment. What it looks for is a particular concentration of THC in a saliva sample, which is then equated to what an assumption is, is going to be equivalent THC concentration in your blood. Um, it'll also do that for cocaine. Um, they use it for cocaine as well in Canada. Um, but it's not actually testing whether you're impaired in your ability to operate a motor vehicle, which is what the police 
are arresting you for. And the science that correlates what's in your saliva to what's in your bloodstream is relatively new. Um, It's not very well founded in a large body of scientific research to make it something that I think we should put as much faith as we're putting in for the purposes of arresting people and subjecting them then to further detentions, um, investigations, and having bodily samples taken again at the police station. So... um you're you've defended people. I mean, I understand you're 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 defending someone in Nova Scotia on a on basis of constitutionality, uh, but my guess is you're actually representing people in real time, uh, locally that are being charged with impairment. I've defended hundreds of drug impaired driving cases and thousands of alcohol impaired driving cases. Interestingly, in British Columbia, I have yet to get a case where the police have actually charged someone after using this roadside testing equipment, which to me tells me that it's really not doing the job that's necessary because I would be seeing the cases. Yeah, and you know the reason you and I both know I've been you know involved in the criminal law for a long time as an investigator working with lawyers that are dealing with people that have mental health and addiction issues related to their crime. Anyway, without getting into that, we both know that the reason they're not bringing it to the table is because you're gonna you'd be all over it. Um, so you know it's the it's the weakness of the technology. So they don't want their case you know destroyed by the fact that you chew it up and spit it out. I'm sure. Um, God, and we talk and you talk about hundreds and thousands. It's amazing. I. I like to spend a lot of time talking with you about this. So currently, the, the this Dragger drug test five thousand and the Abbott So Toxa mobile test systems, they're the kind of the current go to. Um, what are the manufacturers? I mean, one would assume the manufacturers would be, you know, rallying to make sure that their tests would stand up. Um, are they just not? Is it just not going to work because it's just the wrong technology? Or because I, I think what you said is it measures the wrong thing. It measures levels of uh, toxicology versus a person's ability to function. So, for example, you know, someone like this Michelle Graves in the article, she uses it for multiple sclerosis, right? Um, I, you know, I, I use CBD for pain and anxiety and so, a few other things. Sometimes CBD can test as THC. It, it just, there's a whole bunch of people going to be put, you know, through the system potentially, or maybe not. Um, what a waste of time and money, right? Absolutely. And I mean, make no mistake, the manufacturers of these devices are spending millions of dollars as we speak looking into better equipment that they could create to test for actual impairment to put that in the hands of the police. Because the first company that comes up with something that can reliably discern impairment and can easily be used by police officers quickly in a roadside setting, that's basically a license to print money because every police force in the world is going to want to get a hold of that. Um, So they are working on the technology, but they don't have it yet. And this is the stopgap. And, you know, police forces are buying it. So they're making money. So as a manufacturer, you know, (laughs) it's great to be able to supply the police with something that you can make a small profit off for a period of time while you're developing better technology and build that trust relationship. Yeah, hard to do that though. If you can, you know, I was, you're, you know, you're, you're smart enough to understand. I'm sure, 100. percent So am I. That if you don't come out of the gate with something that works, it's really hard to come back and go. Oh, I know that one was crummy, but try this now, right? Um, let a couple. I have other, a couple of other questions. Um, the you know maybe some advice for somebody who might have you know had run into a situation where they've been charged or they're, they're currently you know facing something like this. Um, medical users. It, would it be not enough to just show the officer that you've got, a, you know, here's my prescription or here's my medical card or whatever it is that uh, you carry province by province? Um, 
that should be enough to say, you know, hey, there's going to be THC in my system. I'm a medical user. Here's my card. Wouldn't that save a lot of people, you know, like it's embarrassing, right, to be pulled out of the car and do the whole test and, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and all the coppers I know, and I'm sure the same ones you know, say that it's, you know, they, they work with touch, feel, and, and eyesight, right? Like they they can tell if somebody's impaired. They don't necessarily need to swipe them or even have them blow over. Um, so what, where is this going? Well, you know, for medical users, they're in a very unfortunate position because not only does the criminal law prohibit, of course, impairment, which medical users aren't going to demonstrate because they take the cannabis not to be impaired by the medical condition. Um, the impairment um, is not the only thing that you can be charged with. You can also be charged with being over the blood THC concentration limit. And for a lot uh... of medical users, they're always at that or above that blood concentration yeah. THC limit. That's cra- that's crazy. That means that people that use, you know, medical marijuana for, you know, pain and suffering and all the other things, medical purposes and anxiety and so on, um, they're technically not be able they're not going to be able to drive. I mean, technically, probably they shouldn't be driving because they would be violating the law. But, you know, in my opinion, I would rather have somebody who has a medical condition, who takes their medication and is functioning properly behind the wheel, even though they have some THC in their bloodstream, than somebody who's unmedicated and not managing whatever it is that they take their their THC for, because then they're going to pose a greater risk to the public. I mean, you know, an anxious driver is a bad driver. No kidding. You know, an injured or ill or sick driver is a bad driver. I don't want those people on the road. I want people to be taking their medication. I think that makes the road safer. You know, I can only imagine you're a great lawyer. You're, you're very good at what you do, and you're explaining this very, very easily for people to understand. Uh, we got less than a minute here. Um, you, you, you see this as a constitutional issue as much as a you know technology doesn't work issue. We got less than a minute. Absolutely. I think that we, our government owes it to us to invest in technology and to only purchase technology when it does the job. It makes the roads safer for everybody. It gives us confidence in the legal system. And we shouldn't have even a single innocent person detained by the police if we know that there's a potential for that. Um, that is contrary to our system of justice and contrary to people's charter rights. Well, I do appreciate you sharing with us this evening and uh, joining us. Maybe we'll uh, we'll talk about this again in a few months and see what's up and if anything's changed uh, in this uh, world of controversial roadside cannabis screening. Yeah, we talked about it for a long time. It's going to be a while before this stuff is legit. This is Yona Bud on the Road to Recovery, 640 Toronto. Addiction is a serious issue, and we take it seriously. This is Road to Recovery with Yona Bud on 640 Toronto. And welcome back to the show. You're on the Road to Recovery. That's what you're listening to. My name is Yona Bud. I'm your host this evening here at 640 Toronto. If you're just joining in, we got a whole bunch of stuff to do. We're going to talk about going back to school with an expert. He's online. We're going to get to him in just a minute. We're going to talk about how extreme heat you know, when it's really hot out or you're on a vacation sometimes, just you don't feel like you're the, in the kind of mood you'd want to be. Well, we'll talk about why that is uh, with someone who's also an expert in uh, how uh, heat can influence your mood and health. And also, we're going to get to this whole Lisa LaFlamme story because I'm nauseated by it. Uh, I thought she looked beautiful. She looked uh, stunning and glamorous and all that stuff uh, and was a phenomenal broadcaster, um, is a phenomenal broadcaster. I want to talk about that and whether, whether you're 
you're comfortable in your own skin getting a touch older and, you know, whether you're trying to get those genes that fit you in high school to fit you now that you're reaching your early 40s. And then uh, we'll get some more stuff if we have time. But uh, right now, I want to let you know that I've... Um, I've decided this year that I was going to have an expert on our show for the following year, the coming year, and I've been talking to many different uh, young people, and uh, I'm I'm proud to have online this evening uh, my selection for 2022-2023, which means he gets a stipend and all that kind of stuff to help him through his school year, Um, and his name is Riker, and I think he's 11, but we're going to ask him for sure, Uh, and he's going to help us get through the school year this year and find out from a kid's perspective What's really going on instead of the nonsense we're hearing from all these adults? Riker, welcome to the show. Thanks for staying up late, although I know you'd be gaming right now anyway, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah, that's quite true. I, I <laughs> My schedule is destroyed. Um, <laughs> How you doing, buddy? Great. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Just feels like a regular phone call, right? Oh, uh, yeah, basically. Oh, okay, my cool. God. So just, uh, yeah, stick with your phone and stay focused. We're going to be good here. Um, so what? just for full disclosure, you and I know each other because I'm friends with your dad, oh, yeah. and, and I yeah. had a chance to meet you, right? Um, yeah. So, um, so I was going to, before we get into, so you're 11, right? That's the right age? Yeah, I'm 11. I'm 11. Okay, when are you going to be 12? Um, it's, uh, my birthday is April 14th. Okay, we're going to make sure we celebrate that on the radio because hopefully you'll st- you and I will still be doing this together. Yeah. Uh, before we, yeah, exactly, right? And you can add up all the money. What? Listen, but I forget. We, before we get into the grade and everything, you had like an amazing summer trip, right? Oh yeah, totally. I went to Newfoundland on like a road trip for like two weeks. It was yeah. like honestly one of the most beautiful places on earth I've ever been. And we really went in a lucky time. There wasn't too much rain. And uh, one night, some forest fires, which really sucks. The moon was, like, red, which was really cool. Wow. Did you get get pictures? Did you take lots of pictures? Yeah, I think I actually got a picture. That's amazing. So, um, and you're on you're on the road trip with your dad. Did, okay, full disclosure, just you and me. No one's listening other than thousands and thousands of other people. No, but listen, no, 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 did your dad let you drive at all on the back roads? <laughs> what, sorry? Did your dad let you drive a little bit on the back roads? So we were going to, but the thing was, like the day that we were going to, um, we had to like go to the ferry to go out of Newfoundland. Because uh, we didn't really have a great spot, so okay. we kind of had to find something, but we didn't. So we didn't have time, which sucks. Okay, okay well, just let, let him know he owes you a back roads, uh, sit on his lap at least driving he experience. Does. Yeah, I yeah, absolutely. I I'll make sure. I'll make sure. I'll stay on top of him for you. So, uh, Riker, yeah. what grade? You, what grade are you going into in a couple of weeks? What uh, What grade uh, are you entering I'm going, now? I'm going into grade six, so middle grade school. Six, big year. Yeah, totally. Are you excited? Honestly, I'm really excited because um, I'm going to a different school this year, which is okay. going to be uh, great. Yeah, I want to meet lots of new people. So, any of your so going to a new school for a lot of kids your age, you know, can be really kind of a funky thing to do. But uh, you know, yeah. makes make you you got any buddies going to that new school with you, or is it all fresh kids? Um, it's all fresh kids, and honestly. That would be kind of nice because I'll be able to meet a ton of new people. And since it's grade six going into middle school, that's yeah. actually the first year that that 
um, school is like, you know, open to like at grade six. So I'm not going to be the only new kid and I'm going to have other people to meet and chat with, have fun. You know, you know, you sound like a 16 year old, right? Like at least. So I just, I, no, I'm listening I, to I, you. Squeakiest voice on the planet. What do you mean? No, no. I mean, your attitude, you're, 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 you're just so, you, you just, I listen to you and I go, wow, is he really only 11? I mean, it's a compliment, kiddo. Um, what are you looking forward to the most going back to school this year? Oh, um, I think like, well, I'm going to be, um, honestly, I'd say meeting new people because, okay. um, you know, going into a new school, basically that in school is going to be my only priority. It's not going to be like after after school play dates or anything, it's basically just going to be meeting new people, getting to know them, and uh, basically just having fun in school. Basically, going to be all I'm doing going into a new school. Nice. And what do you what are you least looking forward to? Um, not going to lie, sexual education. I don't want to learn about that. <laughs> never. Uh, never. You don't ever want to learn about it. Why do I need to? Oh, dude, like, trust me, you and I are going to still be friends, I hope, when you're 15 or 16 and we're going to have this conversation. But right now, you know what? Right now, you don't really have to. As long as you uh, know what all your, as long as you know what all your parts are and what they do, you're good to go, right? Um, I guess, yeah. Okay, so do you feel prepared for, let's get away from this the conversation, that SEX word that makes both of us uncomfortable, I think, right now on the radio. Okay, listen, dude, are you prepared? Like, you're yeah. ready to go? Oh, yeah, I'm totally prepared. Like, I've basically got most of my stuff, I'd say, because, like, there's not really much I have to worry about since I'm going into a new school. It's just basically going to be, as I said, meeting new people and just, you know, working in non-school. So, what's your, uh, your back-to-school outfit going to look like, bro? Uh, my what, sorry? Back-to-school outfit. Don't you have a back-to-school outfit? Oh, well, yeah. I remember when I was a kid, that was a big deal. Like what are you what are you going to wear? What what are you wearing the first day of school when everyone at that school sees Riker for the first time? You're showing up and you're going to look like what? Tell me. Okay, I think I'm going to wear like I have some uh, I have a pretty good outfit of um, some like gray shorts and yeah. like uh, a really nice like uh, pretty blue shirt and I think that would be pretty cool. Very cool. Okay, I just want to make sure you're not going to wear a shirt and tie because if you do, they might beat you up. I'm just telling you, right? <laughs> so, so, yeah. so, right? Can you imagine? Like, I, I feel bad for some of those kids that think that. that that's a good, you know, you know what? And they, and they, they just really want to be, they want to be respectful, but they show up and they realize they're the only kid at school in a shirt and tie. And eh, it kind of, uh, to use your expression, I think it sucks. So, uh, back to school <laughs> shopping, you and your dad, you and your mom, you've done all that stuff already? Um, actually, I think we're going to be doing it in the next few days because I would like some new clothes. Yeah, I think I have so, right? I yeah. think so. I, th Why not? I think that a new, I, yeah. a new fresh knee. Yeah, I think you need some grade six clothing going into the new middle school experience where the world gets to see the new version of you or an extended version of what you are. And, uh, yeah, tell your dad you need cool stuff. Like, and go to the expensive stores, okay? Um, yeah. Like the more, yeah, tell him to take you to the, none of that discount stuff. So do you have a, you have an idea of what, what's going to, what will make, I mean, I know you want to make lots of friends. You want to have a good year at school. Academically, I know you do very well. But do you have any, like, specific things? that you're hoping this year brings um, you know something you've kind of been looking forward to when you were in, in public school you know, the, in early in early okay. school whatever it's called yeah I would say 
I want to get, like, a really good French teacher because, like, the last few years, my French teachers, like, I haven't really learned much, but I want to get a good one. Okay, well, uh, yeah, make sure you uh, find yourself a good one. If you don't like the one you got, go to the principal and go, can I trade this one in? Because I want to get a good one. This one, this one, this one's broken. I don't know how to speak French. I've been learning it for three years, and I can't say a word. Give me somebody. Okay, listen, buddy, I, like, I know everybody's coming. A lot of kids are coming back to school. There was a you know, virtual school, half a broken year, part of a broken year. Uh, amongst your friends, amongst your buddies your age that you game with and that you're friendly with and hang out with, uh, are, yeah. are people a little freaked out coming out of the, the last couple of years, specifically last year? Was it a freak out year for a lot of kids in grade six and okay, grade five? So I would say like, I would say like the first few weeks, everybody was kind of freaking out, but then I feel like they got like back in, into it and like used to it. But yeah, I'd say like it, it was definitely hard on me from being like on online school to like in real life school, but I got used to it pretty fast. Yeah, you don't need the same outfit for online school that you need for <clears throat> for school in person. Well, okay, so you and I have a deal that you're going to be my our, our, our resident uh, youth, our regular our resident kid on Road to Recoveries, which means uh, you got a paying gig for the next, uh, you know, hopefully the next school year for sure or until they boot me off the radio. Yay! Um, ha- has, it, has it been fun? Oh, yeah, totally. It's easy, right? Like no reason to be nervous or throw up or like yeah, pee in your honestly, pants or anything, right? Okay. I'm uh, to somebody on the phone in my room. It's pretty easy. Yeah, I think like you do it all day, every day. I asked your dad if you're okay doing this, and he showed me a picture of you gaming with your headset on, you know, with your bottle of whatever you were drinking and your snack foods, and it looked like you were in your glory. Um, you know what? You're a great kid. I'm really lucky to have you. We are really lucky to have you. And I, I'm excited to have you back in a couple of uh, maybe a, a month or so to maybe end of September just to see how the first month was of school is going. Um, but if anything special comes up, let your dad know. If any special experience that you go through at school oh, yeah. that you think – that you think you should share and maybe pick up an extra few bucks with me, uh, let your dad know and uh, and we'll get you on. Uh, I'm talking to Riker. I'm not going to give you his last name uh, or what school he goes to for his own safety, uh, but he's a great kid and uh, really glad that we chose him for our resident kid for On the Road to Recovery Show 2022-2023. When we come back, we got more stuff to do. We're going to talk about how heat influences your mood and mental health. You know those crummy night sleeps? where it's just so hot and sticky, you just can't stand it. Then you wake up the next morning and you're miserable, right? Like every year, cranky. Yeah, you know what I mean. I can see you all shaking your head. Well, there's a reason for that. And when you come back, we're going to talk to some experts about what that really means. You're listening to The Road to Recovery. My name is Yona Bud, your host on 640 Toronto. You're listening to Road to Recovery with Yona Bud, only on 640 Toronto. Back. It's uh, 1021. Do you know where your children are, your loved ones, your pets, your seniors in your life? If you don't know where you are, they are, you need to check them out. Find out where they are. And if you think they're in trouble, call 911 or give us a call. 416-870-6400 here at the studio or 888-225-TALK. If you want to get something out to me during the week, road to recovery at 640toronto.com or a lot to write down here. I know 877 877- 777-5808 gets you right to me or to my staff who will then put you in touch with me and we can talk about whatever is on your mind and see if we can help you in some way. 
you know, if you found that uh, extreme heat, like when it's really hot, sticky, and crummy outside, it affects your mood, right? It just kind of makes you feel miserable. Tens of millions of people across the United States have been during a heat wave after this summer. And uh, there's no denying that the heat is, and the humidity has become very physically uncomfortable for a lot of people. And these conditions are weighing on the mental health of the same folks that have been involved in the study here. Uh, the study was published in February um, and scrutinized the medical records of 2.2 million uh, adults visited emergency departments in 2,777 counties across the U.S. between 2010-2019, and they found that 8% were more emergency department for mental health concerns on the hottest days of the summer than we're on the coolest days of the summer. Joining me this evening is Dr. Christine Carroll. She's a registered psychologist and the founder of the Vancouver Anxiety Center, and she's our guest. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Carroll. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me on tonight. So you know what I, I'm I'm now starting to thank it my pleasure. Thank you. Uh, you know, the, really, I'm, I'm I'm kind of intrigued by this because. What's interesting to me is that um, in I, I have anxiety disorder and ADD and OCD, and I find that when it's really like my apartment's like a meat locker all the time. Uh, my mm-hmm. wife, the poor thing, walks around in a snowmobile suit in July. But um, you know, I can't my my can't keep myself in check when I'm hot and sticky. What's behind that? Well, a lot of people with anxiety disorders have fairly good internal awareness of what's going on in their bodies. That's partly what contributes to the anxiety disorder. So you feel your heart skip a beat or you feel a little sweaty and go, what's that? What's that? Is the anxiety coming back? And so with that heightened awareness and sensitivity to what's going on internally, uh, any external situations that are going to make you feel uncomfortable could also trigger more anxiety or discomfort, or just maybe if you're not resilient, uh, you know, and it's an especially hot day, uh, it can be very difficult to cope with. Here in Vancouver, uh, most of the apartments aren't equipped with air conditioning, and our summers have typically been pretty mild, but now they're increasing in intensity. So I've had a lot of sessions recently with people wondering why, their anxiety was so much worse this week. Were they slipping backwards? And I'm like, do you think it could be the heat? And, uh, you know, nine times out of ten, when we do a little detective work, heat is a contributing factor. Yeah, as a matter of fact, going back to the data from that uh, JAMA psychiatric study uh, from the past, mm-hmm. uh, from February, uh, and so, uh, for example, self-harm, substance use, abuse, and use, anxiety moods, and schizophrenia disorders all rose consistently in proportion with the temperature change through that study. Uh, mm-hmm. That's pretty significant because, for example, yeah. schizophrenia, as we know, is you know can be can be supported by good good therapy as long along with good medical intervention. Uh, but even you know when it's a chemical disorder, it still impacts us uh, through our I guess our psychology and in, in, in our in our mood swings well, and so on. Yeah. Right? Not a surprise to anyone who's worked on an inpatient um, psychiatry unit where you would, would see this. It's a stress on the body. So any stress on the body is a stress on the brain and can lead to more difficulty coping under that stress. We know that often first episodes of psychosis can happen under a period of stress. And so one of the things we want to do is someone struggling with more severe mental illness like bipolar disorder or uh, schizophrenia, it, we want to eliminate stress and increase support and um, 
I'll, I'll spend a lot of time with patients with more severe mental illness coming up with a plan on how to stay balanced when things are not balanced outside and how to recognize maybe when they uh, need to time out or go to a cooling center or talk to their psychiatrist about adjusting their medication because the stress is is overwhelming. So it, it's not that surprising, actually, uh, that that um, a change in your body would have a change. Even if we think of something as a very biological yeah. illness, yeah. yeah, external factors absolutely play a role. Uh, if you're just joining, I'm talking to Dr. Christine um Carol, she's a registered psychologist and the founder of the Vancouver Anxiety Center. We're talking about how heat affects your moods. Um, you know, I, I was thinking about, you know, we were talking about that. I, I had, you know, I have in my practice, you know, lo- lots of people that are trying to get their lives back in order for whatever reason, and either dealing with substance use disorder or getting comfortable in their own skin with their mental health disorders or whatever we're trying to treat them and help them with. And, you know, they'll go away on a vacation. Uh, as a matter of fact, I had a patient that came, comes to mind, came, came back from a vacation to one of the islands, I won't say which one, uh, was very hot, very humid, uh, was there with his wife. They had a great, she had a great time and he found that he was miserable and he, the most comfortable, the most comfort he had was in his air conditioned unit. And when they were in the dining hall where, you know, the, it was also air conditioned with fans and such. And we started talking about the impact of just the discomfort of being outside and why perhaps that might not be a good idea for people. Um, people, I guess, don't understand that when you say stress, doesn't just mean from their job or lifting boxes. When you talk no. about stress, what does that mean in terms of mental health? Well, you know, the one definition of stress is stress is anything you wish was different. <laughs> and, oh, that's great. Uh, I got a lot of stress. Yeah, you know, like, there's so many things that you... So, so one approach is to learn how to um, adjust or be open to what comes uh, our way. You know, one, one predictor of who develops an anxiety disorder is something called anxiety sensitivity. So if you're more sensitive to the physical sensations of anxiety, then you're more likely to have panic disorder or other problems with anxiety. So what we do in therapy is not take away the anxiety. We'll actually expose you or try and bring on the anxiety through different crazy exercises like hyperventilating or breathing yeah. through tiny straws. We try and bring on so that yep. you learn to have a different relationship with anxiety. And then when yep. you don't care that you have anxiety, then it's easier to deal with. Um, you know, and, and, you know, if you live in a climate, you eventually adjust to it as well. I remember one time uh, my family, we went to New York during a heat wave. I was going to a conference and every, everyone else came with us. And I had been doing a lot of hot yoga. And I was the only one comfortable. I was actually okay. But I've been exposing myself for months before going to this, uh, felt like what the Vancouver heat don't felt like here. It was very, very hot and oppressive. Yeah, I know. I've, I've been there. I've been melting, there. I was good. Yeah. yeah, it feels like you're melting like the asphalt. And I, I assume you were, clo- you know, properly dressed with Lululemon so that you could go into a pose in the middle of uh, Times Square if you, if you had to. <laughs> uh, okay. So that wasn't a plug for Lululemon. They don't sponsor me or anybody else, by the way. Anyway, um, I do like their clothes. So the negative impacts that meant this has on people. So, you, you, you know, if you look at the, at today's temperatures here in, in Toronto, you know, we're looking forward to a week of, uh, I think in the next couple of days, there might be some 29 and 30 kind of numbers. They're going to be hot. They're going to be sticky. Um, how can people mm-hmm. mitigate uh, their discomfort, psychological discomfort, amongst their physical discomfort? 
Well, make sure you're safe. You know, so you want to look at the internal temperature of your apartment or if your air conditioning is out. I remember um, I went to grad school in, at Ottawa U and uh, one time the, um, the air conditioning was out in my building and it was getting very uncomfortable. <laughs> so I found, you know, somewhere to stay uh, with a friend uh, for that time so that it was, I think it was like um, 45 degrees in my apartment at one point, you know. So if you can measure the the um, temperature, uh, just make sure that, you know, it's a safe temperature. And if not, check in and see if there's local cooling centers or places where you can go to at least get a break. It's going to be especially hard to sleep in that weather. So you can Google and find, you know, do what you can to cool yourself out down um i saw some someone uh, from australia post a long thread on twitter about different strategies to keep yourself cool like put a t-shirt in, a wet t-shirt in the freezer and then put it on and hope you fall asleep before wow uh, yeah never thought uh, of that that's cool yeah so you know do do things like that or you know putting um uh you know using ice packs uh, to help keep your, your temperature down. So that's not my area of expertise. But, you know, aside from doing those things to keep your body safe, make sure that you're not overheating. Uh, if it's just a safe level of discomfort, what you want to try and do is remind yourself that this is a moment in time, that you can cope with this discomfort, you can take your mind off of it by focusing on other things. Uh, you can take it as an opportunity to do some hot yoga in your apartment, you don't have to go to the studio. Remind yourself <laughs> that people go into sauna, saunas all the time. Yeah. Um, you know, but you know, if you're noticing your temperature is going up, absolutely, uh, we don't want anyone to get sick. And uh, you know, call call your doctor, call nine one one if you're if you're starting to feel very unwell or need to cool off, and they'll give you lots of suggestions for what you might do to keep yourself cool. So you have to be practical. You have to be safe. But if it's safe and you're just uncomfortable, you try and uh, allow it to happen. Just let it happen, you know, and just really feel the heat and know that, you know, you know, it's warm, but not dangerous in your in your space and and uh, that you can you can manage it. So the hard part for a lot of people is the lack of sleep. So, you know, especially if you have schizophrenia or bipolar disorder and, and you're worried that lack of sleep could trigger uh, an episode, as it can in some folks, then you might want to, you know, that might be a day to splurge on a hotel or stay with someone who has better air conditioning uh, to protect. So that could be another reason why why we see an increase in, in people with um, uh, manic episodes or uh, psychotic episodes in heat waves because it does affect sleep, which we know affects uh, affects that. So if there's a safety issue, you might want to be a little bit more cautious. If you have n- no such concern and you just don't like the the discomfort of the of of your room, then you know try and relax into it as much as you can and let it happen and know that it's for a short period of time. Easier said than done. I'm talking to Dr. Christine Carl. She's a registered psychologist and the founder of the Vancouver Anxiety Center. We're talking about the influence of uh, heat on mood and mental health. We're going to get a chance to test that here in Toronto. It's going to be 32 and rainy on Monday, so pay attention to what the doc- good doctor had to say. When we come back, we're going to talk about the whole concept of turning gray, graying out, this whole aging thing. I think it's a bunch of crap. The better you get, 
the better you should do your job. And in fact, that's the case. And we should wear our age like badges of honor when so many people around us are passing from horrible diseases and such. We'll be right back on the road to recovery. My name is Yona Bud here, 640 Toronto. Welcome back to Road to Recovery with Yona Bud, only on 640 Toronto. Welcome back to the show. You're on the road to recovery. That's what you're listening to here on 640 Toronto. I'm your host, Yona Bud. I'm in the studio this evening with Danny and Natasha and Stefan, a whole crew standing by to take your phone call. And this is how you call me. I'll tell you what you're going to call me about here in just a second. Write the number down, 416, yep, four, no, 416, there you go, 870 or 888-225, the word talk, or if you can't figure that out, 8255 is how you spell talk on your phone. We want to hear from you. I want to hear from you because I'm getting older. I'm aging into myself, as they say. How do you feel about that? How do you feel about this whole Lisa LaFlan, people losing their jobs because they're getting older, looking grayer, looking more polished, more, just more, I think, just more experienced and just better. You know, like if you look at fine pieces of jewelry and leatherware and wine and all, you know, things made out of stone, over time they just look better and better. And they, and they, and if it's something that's, you know, like a, like a, you know, your favorite putter you know if you play golf your favorite putter or your you know your favorite you know your favorite pair of skates they just they just get better over time right how do you feel about that you think you're getting better over time give us a ring right here right now 416-870-6400 if you don't call me i'm going to start barking it out to you like they do at the sea and he's that right i'm here and get your name i'll start doing that if you don't call us right here right now 416-870-6400 seriously though man how do you feel about getting a little bit older like are you counting down the birthdays or are you adding them up I had that discussion with my dad a couple of years ago on a different network. Him and I did a show about getting older and birthdays and such. And, you know, we talked about whether it was, you know, you're counting them up or you're you ticking them off. Like you're adding them up or counting them down. Something you look forward to? My father's going to be, God willing, 96 in the next couple of days. We're already celebrating with all kinds of different things. We're going to do that for days to come because it's what he deserves. But he looks forward to his birthday. He can hardly wait for the next one, the next one, and the next one. And you know what? I think so, too. So here, we want to hear from you. How do you feel about the whole graying thing, aging thing? Are you happy you're getting older, or would you like it all to be over right now? Come on, not really. So much more to do. By the way, 80 is the old 65, is what they say, and 65 is the old 50. I'm not going to tell you how old I am because my wife wouldn't let me. She doesn't like it. When I tell people how old I am, she thinks it diminishes my brand. But I've been around for a long time. I've been practicing for over 40 years. So you can do the math. And, you know, I'm blessed. I don't have much gray hair, thankfully. I have a full head of long black hair. But, you know, sooner or later, that's going to change. And who cares? Like, really, who cares? How many people are really that focused on what my hair color looks like? Well, I'll tell you. I get people that stop me in the elevator and say, excuse me, excuse me, I, I don't want to, do you color your hair? And I'm like, excuse me, um, 
Actually not, but interesting question. Yeah, I'm just wondering, Leslie, because your hair is so dark and I can see your beard so gray. And I just kind of move on. Like, first of all, none of their business, right? Like, seriously, none of their business. Comment on my shoes, on the bag I'm carrying, on the pants I'm wearing, on the sports jacket, perhaps, if I'm dressed like that. Rare, but sometimes. But on the color of my hair or the color of my beard, you know, you get to be older for a reason. Are you adding them up or counting them down? That's what my friend Danny likes. That's what she's telling me. She likes to hear that expression. I add up my birthdays, broski. And my dear friends, my dear lady friends out there, you're all my bros and broettes, so to speak. You're all my family. I love you guys. You're the best audience ever. But give me a call, 416-870-6400. Either there's no one listening or you're not awake or you're afraid to call or you don't have anything to say, but I'm sure you do. You're looking forward to your next birthday? Come on. We're talking about birthdays. Everyone has one. It's not like we're talking about anxiety and you're afraid to share it on the radio. Get on that phone, Rose and Andrea and David and Billy and Michael and all you guys out there that I know are listening. Get on the phone. Call me. Call us. Call our office. We're trying to check, try some new things on the phone. Give us a call so we can do that with you. But seriously, it's a matter of getting comfortable in your own skin, right? And if you're going to be 50, you're going to be 50. If you're going to be 40, you're going to be 40. And we can have a whole discussion about people, especially as I get older. It's unfortunate that people I knew and grew up with may not get older with me. You know, I don't want to get depressing and make it all sad here, but there's no guarantee, my friends. There's no guarantee that you get out of bed in the morning. There's no guarantee that you get to put your feet on the ground when you get up. There's no guarantee that you have the opportunity to to get through the next day and make choices, make decisions, make mistakes, learn. There's no guarantee. There's no one, no one says you get that for sure, right? That just comes because you're fortunate or in some people might say you're blessed. But you got to look at these situations. You got to look at your life and this and your opportunity to get older and your opportunity to be more you and your opportunity to to wear your clothes, your colors, your hair, your whatever in whatever way makes you the most comfortable. And if you're 50 and you think the way to come into your 50s is with a tattoo and and a, and a, and a new a new hairstyle and maybe a new hair color or a new change in wardrobe, some other kind of change in wardrobe, then so be it. You deserve it. You get to be you. So I'm going to keep this open for us uh, going into the next segment as well. If you want to talk about it, I want to hear from you, 416-870-6400. How are you feeling about getting older? Are you uh, adding them up or counting them down, right? I think that what we should do is we should be looking at what life has to offer, and all the good, and sometimes the bad and the ugly, because we learn from that too. But I'll tell you, man, I'm happy. I'm looking forward to my next birthday, my next one, my next one, and my next one. And like my dad said, when we talked about his celebrating his 96, he said, it's going to be fun, but the, the number 100, that'll be the blast, he said. Then I'll bring out the good scotch. We'll be right back on the road to recovery. You're listening to Yona Bud here, 640 Toronto. Addiction is a serious issue, and we take it seriously. This is Road to Recovery with Yona Bud on 640 Toronto. And welcome back. It's the end of the show here. we got one more little tiny segment to do together, and then 
We get to chill, have a good week, and get back together and share again next weekend at 9 o'clock from 9 to 11. We'll be here next Saturday night. If all goes well, back on the road to recovery. And during the week, you can give us uh, a bit of a shout-out if you want. Road to recovery at 640toronto.com. It's how you email me and uh, love to hear from you. So we're, we're getting back on the road here. We're talking about the discussion about getting older, being positive about your age, whether you're you know, counting them, adding them up or counting them down, right? What's the difference there? And I think we have somebody on the phone. I believe his name is Phil. I don't really have much information from my production team, but I think his name is Phil, and he's standing by testing one, two, three. Are you there, Phil? I am indeed. Thank you so much for joining us. I am 74 years young. I've been a carpenter all my life. I've been a musician. I have a positive attitude. I write songs. I love life. I'm as healthy as anybody I know. I could work as, alongside anybody I know at age 40 or 50. That's all because of being active, I guess. And uh, I think if you're a positive thinker, you enhance your uh, immune system and keep it strong. And you, if you're a positive thinker, I know uh, one or two people who have been old, the way they've they've been trying to meet old age or they talk like old from age 30. It's an attitude, too. (laughs) I understand. So are you, you I'm going to ask some personal questions. If you don't want to answer, don't answer. Go ahead. Thanks for for calling, Phil. I really do appreciate it. Um, You... um, 74, by the way, is nothing, right? Like uh, people live to 90. You know, 100 is like you know, doable these days. I think that my generation before me, yeah. they looked old, they talked old, yeah. they walked old. They came from tougher times, maybe, I think. Yeah. Uh, but I'm going to ask you some questions here, brother. Are you on this road, uh, this, uh, this magnificent road of aging with positive energy and you sound like you're you know you're still making a huge contribution every day which is is, is gigantic oh, yeah. are you, are you on, on the road alone you have a partner you have people in your life children yeah, wife anything like that yeah i might have had um, i've had a, I have a lot of tough things happen to me i yeah. lost um, a 25 year old son about 10 or 12 years ago so sorry and uh, to an accident and um, but i i know that uh, I think that I was brought up in the 50s, and it was a great yeah. time to be brought up, especially in Northern Ireland, because uh, <laughs> we learned that the, there was like, some power greater than us, and, and we had to yield to something, uh, you have to yield to something that's greater. But I think a lot of wisdom has passed down to me from my father and my mother. And, uh, and I, I'm having a good life because I don't think this is uh, life is every. Hello. Yeah, I'm here, Phil. I'm here. I, I don't think this life is the physical. Our physical being is only a very small part of our overall picture of the overall of, of our. Can, can I, can, our Phil, Phil, can I, can I, can I, can I not ask you a couple of questions here? Because I, I, I really want to try to get some things out. Um, your mom and dad, um, how long did, did they live a long life? Yeah, well, my, my mother died about uh, age 80, and my father died about age 78. So that, in those days, I guess that's, uh, that's you know, 
that's fair a fairly long life. I think eighty. Yeah, right? yeah, back, yeah. That was back, back in yeah. the day. Yeah. Um, right. So let me ask you something. When you are you? You said you're a carpenter. Are you still like actively employed and or getting up in the oh, morning? No, to... I, I've been. I'm retired, but I I love to work. I love to do things. When uh, I had a brain aneurysm back about ten years ago, and it took away my left side peripheral vision. Right. But I still, I still, I still do work. I can't. They took away my license because I can't see from my left side. Right. Uh, it took away my left side peripheral vision. As I so, said. what's what's the problem? You just make right turns. Going, I love to write songs, and nice. I've got a bunch of them on YouTube. And you can go be my guest to uh, to have a listen, Phil McGovern, Mister Phil McGovern. Uh, YouTube, and you'll see songs, uh, patriotic songs about Canada and Australia, where I spent a few years in my younger life. Nice. I, I don't know. I'm, I don't. I sound alive and well because I'm. I, I feel. I, I never feel old. There's some days I don't feel great, and I'm just getting over COVID. Oh, it's, I'm sorry. It's, uh, it's been with me for two days, and I'm almost well now. <laughs> well, I, first of all, Phil, I want to, I want to, I want to thank you so much for calling us this evening. And uh, sounds to me like you're a, a huge inspiration for anybody that knows you. I'm talking well, to you know. To, I love. I try to hang around with people who inspire me, and because uh, people only knew the value that uh, it's free therapy, uh, just having a great conversation with a friend. Uh, there's people, uh, of course, maybe this uh, this is easy for most people to understand. Anyway, I don't want to hold you up. Uh, and, uh, and you know, you know, call us. Yeah, call us. Into it, and I couldn't help but uh, phone it because I'm very, uh, you know. Pre- pre- I appreciate that. Thank, so thank you, Phil. Yeah. And, and have a great evening, and thanks for having me on. My pleasure, and thanks for being a listener, and please call again. I'm, I'm talking to Phil, and he's uh, living the dream with all the little setbacks and things he's had going on from what he's described. He still gets up every morning with a positive attitude, and you know what? You should, too. Really. Like, I, you know, should I be the guy to tell you how to live? No, that's not really my job. But my job is to share with everyone out here and have everyone share with us, you know, how you get out, get through the other side. How do you come out uh, the other side of a situation, a crisis, life? Um, how do you make days better? That's what we're talking about here on this show. That's what we're trying to help everybody understand. And one way to make your day better is to embrace it. Be fortunate. Be thankful. Be, be, be blessed if you're in that mindset feel that way it's a gift my friends it's not a guarantee i know a lot of people who would love to be able to get out of bed and can't i know a lot of people who would love to see their loved ones get out of bed and can't because they're not with us anymore at young ages at older ages it's never easy burying someone at 100 is no better than burying somebody at 50 or 60 or 70 but if you're on your way and you're thinking about life, and you're in your 50s, your 60s, you're starting to think about what life's going to look like later, it's a blast, man. It's a lot of fun. And you get a whole bunch of free stuff, and you get discounts on all kinds of things. But, you know, it's it's a blessing. It's, it's a gift. It's, 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 you know, whatever term you want to use without getting religious, because I don't want to try to do that here. But I think what's important is that we all recognize that 
we can just be the best we can be, whether it's gray hair, black hair, green hair, orange hair, you know, and just if you're if you're living, you know, you're living amongst people that you know are all age sensitive around you, do something to blow them away, right? I don't know, put a tattoo on your shoulder or something that is you know looks youthful and exciting and makes you feel like you're part of the thing. Do whatever you got to do to feel good in your own skin. That's what it's all about. That's what. I'm all about. That's what this show's all about. Thank you for joining us this evening. We'll be back next week with a whole bunch more stuff. You're listening to Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. You're on the road to recovery. It's been my pleasure. I'm Yona Bud signing off. Make it a great week. Love you guys. Hug the one you're with. Be nice. Spread good. Easier to say something positive as it is to say something negative. See you soon. Peace. Canada may be known for its landscapes and friendly people, but beneath the surface lies a darker side of crime, history, and the paranormal. Since 2017, the award-winning Dark Poutine podcast has explored the shadowy corners of the Great White North and beyond, delivering chilling tales from a uniquely Canadian perspective. Hosted by Mike Brown and Matthew Stockton with over 300 episodes and fresh releases every Monday, Dark Poutine is your weekly ticket to the creepier side of Canada. Listen to Dark Poutine on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.